Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard. It is good to be here with you all. Um, Happy Thanksgiving. We're continuing in Ephesians in this faith grind. Um, And for some people, that might be a bit confusing. Why is it a faith grind? Shouldn't faith be easy if we just love Jesus? And from my own walk-in experience, I've found that the really, really good moments, it's easy for me to turn and praise Jesus. Sometimes it can be easy also to forget that those good moments come from Jesus, but it's easy to love him and be thankful and be walking consistently with him. And then there's the really hard moments. And in those, you have to wrestle with the questions of God, why are these hard moments happening? But they're so hard, you have no choice but to press in. Um, And those can be some of the harder moments, but I find that it's easy to press into Jesus. My wife and I had a miscarriage a couple months ago. And as we're walking through that, there's lots of hard questions. Of God, you love children, and yet ours didn't make it. I never even got to meet my child. But you reach a point of brokenness that you have no choice but to press into Jesus. And that experience, though hard, brought me closer to my wife and closer to Jesus. But it's those day-to-day moments that you say, God, where are you? It's a regular Tuesday. It's a regular Thursday. There's nothing for me to look forward to. There's nothing that I hate right now. And it's just a bit of a grind day-to-day. That's where we get the term, the grind. And one thing that I have learned from my personal experience is there's nothing quite like the grind of living with family. I love my siblings dearly, and no one can drive me crazy like my siblings. Some of my siblings, the longer I spend extended amount of time with them, the more I'm excited to get away from them. Um, And that's true with siblings, that's true with spouses, that's true with your children. We love each other as a family, but sometimes it's really hard. But God has established the family as the core unit, the basic building block of society. Society will try to tell you that it's the government, or any sort of thing other than the family, but God founded life to be centered around families. He created Adam, and he said it's not good for man to be alone. He needs to be in community and relationship with other people. So he made Eve. He made the two become one in unity, and the basic building block was the husband and the wife. And we dove into that last week, And if you miss that, I encourage you to go back and look at that because that's foundational to today's topic. Um, But since we already covered it, we're going to move on to the family dynamics. And students, I brought you in here intentionally um, because it's important for you guys to know. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, Micah, why do you even have a job as a youth pastor? Isn't that their parents' responsibility? Yes, my job is not to grow and disciple these students. That is part of my job because my job is to assist parents 
in fulfilling their roles in discipling and teaching their kids. Kids, you have a response and you have your own responsibilities within this family dynamic. And we get to dive into that today as we ask the question, how does God use the family in the faith grind? So if God has put us in it intentionally and it can be really hard, what does God hope to achieve with this messy family dynamics? And God wants to use the family to present every member of the family as fully mature in Christ. Thankfully, Paul gives us really good insight on how to do that well. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, he's addressing the family. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to break this down a lot piece by piece. Um, we're going to first look at Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the part where all of the parents in the room break out in screams and cheers saying, yes, children, obey, because uh, that would make all of our lives as parents much easier. Children, this is often the part where you moan and groan and say, my parents are old. They're out of touch with reality. They don't understand what I'm going through. Why should I obey them? Um, but what I want to start with today is going back a little bit before this letter was written. So often, I think we look at these letters as there's some super great guy who loves Jesus who's just telling people how to live in light of the gospel. But Paul walked and lived among these people. He spent years in Ephesus. When he says children, he doesn't say, oh, this group of people. He says, no, children, I've walked with you. I loved on you. Just like Jesus called the children to himself and sat them on his knee, Paul loved on these children. He's not just saying, children, obey your parents. He's saying, children, I love you. I have relationship with you, and I know what's best for you. And I find it striking that the thing that's most important for children is obedience. It says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I've shared this a couple times, and some people give me a little bit of a hard time, but I've struggled with obedience. Part of my sin nature that I give into easily is a little bit of rebellion, but it's like a respectful one where I try to push the boundaries but stay within it, and I've covered that in other topics. But we're to obey our parents in the Lord, for this is right. A couple of months ago, I was having some conversations with God, and God said, do you believe that you're supposed to obey me? And I said, yes. You say it all over scriptures, obey, your, obey God, obey your authorities, obey your parents, obedience is important. And then God said, so why don't you drive the speed limit? And I said, God, that's just a recommendation. I don't have to follow the speed limit. It's more of a guideline. And God said, but I've called you to obey your authorities. Your authority, authorities say this is the speed limit, not recommendation. Um, so if the Holy Spirit convicts you of this, uh, I'm sorry, it's not a fun one to wrestle with. But the Holy Spirit was convicting me of this and said, if you truly believe you're supposed to obey me, in all things, why is it when you're driving that just goes out the window? And so I started wrestling with it and I said, okay, God, this is what you're desiring for me. I'm going to drive the speed limit. It didn't work out at all. I'll tell you that right now. I really, really struggled to drive the speed limit. 
because I was trying to obey out of a sense of obligation. I was trying to obey out of a, well, I have to do this because I was told to. But then Jesus brought this scripture to mind of John 14, 10. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And as we look at this question of how does God use the family in the faith grind, this is gonna be our first point today. If you love me, you will obey what I command. The moment I decided to switch my mindset and my heart posture from God, I'll go the speed limit because I was told to, to because I love you, it made it easier. Now, it's still a challenge and I don't do it perfectly. When I don't give myself enough time and I'm running late for a meeting, it's like, well, God has grace. But when I offer up as worship and praise going the speed limit, it's so much easier for me to obey. Children, God is telling you, obey your parents. And that is hard. Now you might be sitting in this room and you think, wait, we're addressing family dynamics. Maybe I'm a single person living alone or my children are grown or out of the house or I don't have children yet. How does this apply to me? I want you guys to think through multiple layers today. One, I think it's important to note that even if your children grow up, fathers and parents, these still apply to you. Children, if you're already grown up, these still apply to you. Um, there was one day, it was my first time preaching in Theater 7, and I went home and I was exhausted, but I felt really good because it was a really cool opportunity to have God use me to lead a congregation. I had never experienced that before. And I was exhausted, I was tired, I went home, and my dad looked at me and he said, Micah, do you remember our agreement? I was like, um, which one? Um, I don't want to commit to anything without knowing. He said, I let you have a dog. You're living with me. And you said, if you had a dog, you'd scoop the dog poop. I need to mow today. I need you to scoop the dog poop today. And everything in me was like, no, I, I'm a grown man. I'm married. I have a kid on the way. I don't need to go scoop poop just because you told me to. Like, you're my dad, you don't have that authority anymore. I even led the church today. And that was one of the moments that God said, see how quickly pride seeps into you, Micah? You, you, you preach one sermon and all of a sudden you're too good to scoop poop. Um, and it was just this little thing that was slivering in and God used my parents' commandment to reveal sin in me and used my obedience. Because as I wrestled with it, I was like, the Bible doesn't say obey your parents until you're 18 and legally an adult and you don't have to listen anymore. So you could be 60 years old in this room and still have your parents and there's a responsibility for you to obey your parents. For this is right in the Lord. Children, even if you disagree with your parents, we still have a responsibility to obey. And this applies to discipleship. Sometimes your spiritual leader might ask you to do something you don't feel comfortable with. My first time preaching in Theater 7, going back to that story, I did not feel ready by any means, but I was asked to do it, and so I was obedient and took that step. And it was hard, it was uncomfortable, but it was good for me because my spiritual authority knew what was better for me than what I knew. And that takes a level of humility to say, maybe you know what's better than me, but we're called to obey. Every once in a while, 
your authority might say, hey, like the uh, Egyptian pharaoh said, kill all of the newborn boys. And the Hebrew midwives said, no. And that is a good thing. As Acts 5.29 reminds us, we are to obey God rather than man. And that's a very important distinction when we're talking about obedience. My first allegiance is my obedience to God. I am called to obey and to love God before anyone else. And if, which would never happen, but if my parents said something like, hey, go steal something from someone else so that we can have it. God says stealing's bad. I'm going to obey God rather than man. But how quick are we to try to find loopholes? Look at um, Matthew 7 with me. Matthew 7, 11 through 13 says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Again, one of the reasons I wanted to address this is I love to find loopholes where I can say, I'm still being obedient because of this loophole. And so I wanted to address the people in the room that like me would be like, ooh, if I obey God rather than man, then I don't have to obey my parents all the time. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Instead of taking care of their parents, they said, I'm just gonna give all of this financial assistance or whatever that I owed my parents to God because it's honoring to God and then I don't have to care for my parents. And Jesus says, how wrong you have it. Don't you see it's clear that you're supposed to honor your father and mother first? And sometimes, again, that can be really hard, um, but God wants us to offer our obedience as a worship to him. So even if our parents are potentially wrong on something, he wants us to obey because it's honoring to him. But then there's questions of like, what if there's nothing in it for me to obey? Like, what if obedience to my parents doesn't lead to something that's good for me? And Paul addresses that in Ephesians 6, 2 through 3. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's blessing for obedience. Children, you can cling to this promise that you will be blessed when you choose to obey, even when you can't see the outcome. Even if you think your parents might not have it completely right, there is blessing for obedience. How good of a God do we serve that he chooses to bless us for doing something we should do? Jesus shares a parable in Luke where the servants come in, they do everything they're supposed to, and their response is, we were just doing what we were supposed to. We were doing what we're told. And yet God promises to bless us even for doing what we're supposed to. And that's such a rich, deep promise that we get to cling to. And again, there's these times where it's like, well, if you honor your father and mother, you get to live long in the land. But with the miscarriage, my child didn't even have the chance to try to honor me and my wife. So how do we wrestle with, well, God promises blessing but sometimes that doesn't work out. What happens when the promise isn't there? I think it's very important to look to the life of Jesus. Did Jesus, by the world standards, live long in the land? 
33 or so is not typically considered a very long life. But do we believe that Jesus honored and obeyed his parents well? Definitely. One of my favorite stories and one of the most convicting is Jesus stayed back in Jerusalem after the festival and was sitting in the temple. His mom and dad got a day away before they even realized he was missing because they thought he was with family and friends. They freak out. They look for him for three days and finally find him. And he says, don't you know that I would be in my father's temple? But we often miss the next part. His parents say, all right, and now it's time to come home. And Jesus was obedient and submissive to his parents and went home. If Jesus is obedient and trusts that there's blessings and promises for obedience, shouldn't we also? And then there's the question of like, what if my parent or my spiritual parent is asking me to do something really hard or potentially painful or hurtful? Again, let's look to Jesus his heavenly father, the father, said, I am sending my son to become human. So what Jesus, the son, the person of God, because we believe in a triune God, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. God, the father said to God, the son, I want you to step down from your throne to completely empty yourself and take on humanity. I want you to be weak. I want you to have experience the afflictions, the pains, and the temptations that our people experience daily. Not only that, but I want you to die in their place. The death that they earned and deserved from their own sin, I want you to experience so that they can experience the life that you deserved as the king of glory. And Jesus learned obedience through suffering and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross for us. His father asked him to do something very hard, but he chose to be obedient and we get to receive the, the blessings of that obedience. And that is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus loves you enough to die on the cross for your sins so that you can experience eternal life in the presence of God the Father being given new life through the Holy Spirit because of the work of the Son. Now, there was a moment as I was growing up that I really wrestled with God the Father. I thought, how selfish of you to send the Son instead of yourself. Like, wouldn't it be easy to send somebody else to suffer? Um, and I think that there's, God's really spoken to me about two things with that. One, God is still one. He is the triune God. And so he was sending himself. And then the other part, as a parent, I now see how much harder it would be to send my child instead of me. In a moment, I would lay down my life for my kid. So that cost God the most to send his son for our place. But that's the price that God was willing to pay for you to experience life. And Jesus was obedient even when it was really hard. He said, Father, take this from me. I don't want to experience this, but not my will, but your will be done. Children, this is our attitude towards our parents. We need to say, I will be obedient to you, even if it's hard or I don't understand why. Now, honoring, I think obedience is the first step to honoring. We're called to obey our parents, but honoring is so much more. It's giving esteem. It's highly valuing. 
I'm excited because in this sermon, I get a chance to honor my parents because of how well they raised me. But there's also a part of honoring that's taking care of our parents when they can no longer take care of themselves. It's giving them recognition for all of the work that they did. John Chrysostom says, it is reasonable that parents be the first to reap the fruits of our right actions. And now that I'm a father, I understand that so much more. My parents worked so hard to love me and raise me well. I did not know how exhausting, how much in the grind it is to be changing five, six diapers a day. And by the time you get to that third or fourth poopy diaper, how much can keep coming? And my parents loved me so well through everything. They deserve to get the first fruits for me to honor them. But John Chrysostom continues to say, if a man has not honor for his parents, he will never be gentle towards those unconnected with him. If we can't learn to honor our parents, how are we going to learn to be honorable to each other? If we can't learn to be led and to obey someone, how are we going to be able to obey anyone else in our lives? My wife is an elementary teacher, and she can very quickly determine who has been raised and disciplined, who has been obedient to their parents, and who has not in the classroom. It very quickly makes a difference. Hosea, or Hebrews, sorry, Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that God chooses to bless and reward you when you choose obedience? Do you truly believe that? Because I think it drastically changes the way we view obedience. Now, again, we are God's children. He says, I've paid for you and I've adopted you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And if we're called to obey our earthly parents, how much more so are we to obey God the Father? And when he asks us to do something hard, will we be faithful to be obedient and step out in that? One of my brothers felt called by God to go and proclaim the gospel in Nepal. And he had just gotten married. They had just had a kid. And at five weeks old, they took my niece to Nepal and were backpacking through the Himalayans to reach the unreached to preach the gospel of God. They were being obedient to God's call, even though it was hard. I can't imagine trying to take a five-week-old through the Himalayans. And yet he was being obedient to God and they've received blessing for that. It's not always an easy calling. But again, when we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we get to say, Jesus, you were obedient. You honored your earthly parents and you honored your heavenly father. So can I. And that is what we're called to today, to be obedient even when it's hard. But then Paul continues and says, it's not just on the children to be obedient. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is from Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, I read this recently as I was preparing for this and thought, man, if I tell my daughter no once, she's already angry with me. Um, the other day, we have a little 
like coffee table on top of an ottoman, just like a little coffee tray. And she kept standing on it and it would wobble and she'd almost fall off. So I kept asking her to sit down because if she doesn't sit, she's going to fall off. And if she's obedient, she doesn't get hurt. And she knows enough. She's now almost 15 months old. She looks me in the eyes and stands right back up. Um, And then because of that, I grabbed her and I took her off and she started screaming. It's like, Part of me wanted to say, Ruthann, haven't you read the scriptures? Uh, You're supposed to be obedient to me. Um, And obviously she's too young too. um, But I was very quick to anger in that moment. And she was very disobedient. But I also wrestled with this question of how can I not provoke her to anger if one thing for her own good makes her angry? So one of the questions I really want to dive into is what does Paul mean by don't provoke your children to anger? Because I can guarantee you, if I asked everyone in this room to raise your hand, if you've ever been angry at your parent, everyone would raise their hands. Um, But it's this idea of long-lasting resentment and disunity. So fathers, do not provoke your children to long-lasting resentment, to long-lasting anger and disunity. And I think the first key fathers to do this is, as James says, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, Paul is addressing the mothers, and that's point three for us today from James 1.19. Mothers, you have a responsibility in this as well. Paul is addressing as a unity of parenting, but fathers, Paul is specifically addressing you. And if you are a spiritual father to someone or physically a father to someone, this is for you. God is calling us to be the basic building block of humanity and saying, fathers, your job is to love your family in such a way that you're not producing anger in them. And men, we have a very quick bend to anger. When Ruthann kept standing up, looking me in the eyes defiantly, my first reaction was anger we have to be slow to become angry. There's this imagery in 2 Timothy as Paul addresses the men. He says, men, you are quick to anger and to fighting with your fists. You need to change from fists to open hands of prayer and worship. We can't lead in such a way that we're provoking anger in our children. Reverend George Barlow has a quote that says, the father who chastises in wrath provokes the child to wrath and rebellion. If you're responding out of anger, that's what produces anger in them. There was one time I was a very disobedient child in this particular moment, and my mother was too angry to be able to discipline me well. So what she said was, go to your room and wait until your father gets home. Because she knew that she couldn't discipline me in that moment because of her own anger. And let me tell you, that was some scary, scary times for me. I'm sitting there, and then you hear the car pull up, and then you hear the car door open and close, and then you hear the muffled talking downstairs, and then the slow footsteps up the stairs and then down the hall, and you're just sitting there waiting. One of the things I'm most thankful for from my parents is that they were willing to discipline me so that I knew the difference between right and wrong, but more importantly, that they did it out of love and not out of anger. When 
parents discipline out of anger, it creates disunity within the family. And if that was your experience, I'm sorry, that is not the way God intends it. When God says, think of me as father, don't think of him as the earthly examples you have, but the perfect father. Fathers in this world are fallen examples of the perfect father. Hebrews says that God disciplines us as sons, and that is a good thing. Chuck Chuck Swindoll has a list of things that, in his commentary on this, says will lead to prolonged anger um, within the family. So uh, I'm just going to read this. Um, If you want to hear any of them again, you can find me afterwards. But when parents, especially fathers, have unreasonable demands for perfection on their kids, unreasonable demands for perfection, constant nagging over minor infractions. This is one that I was very guilty of. I was a summer camp counselor and we were cleaning bathrooms. And I was trying to teach my kids under me how to, in everything, honor the Lord with the best of your work. But I would never let them have a minor infraction. Be like, oop, do you see that smudge on the mirror? You didn't do it quite right. Because my tendency is try to get everything perfect. So constant nagging over minor infractions, not leaving room for freedom of expression and personal growth, lack of encouragement and affirmation, harsh, unloving rebukes or cruelty, public embarrassment, verbal or physical abuse, inconsistent discipline, showing favoritism to one child over another, unfair or extreme discipline that doesn't match the offense, and overprotective hovering that stifles growth. Now, again, there can be a very fine line between some of these things because some things are very important to instruct our children are dangerous. But fathers and parents, our job is to make it easy for the children to obey. When we are loving our kids well, it should be easy to obey. I think one of the really healthy guidelines is, as your children get older, do they understand more why you're disciplining and how that discipline is being carried out? why you're disciplining and why you're using the methods you are. As I got older, I understood my parents more and understood that their discipline was for my protection. So when I stayed out past curfew and I lost my rights and privileges to go out for a little bit, it was for my good. And as I got older, I understood that more. I had a friend in high school whose parents ran very far away from the Lord during their high school and college years and experienced a lot of the hurts and wounds that the world has to offer when you're not chasing Jesus. And because they knew how hard and painful it was, they put very strict boundaries on their child. Which again, each child needs their different boundaries, but when my friend broke those boundaries, the punishments were very harsh to ensure that the child followed the instructions but they were a little bit too severe for my friend. And so my friend started revolting against their parents more and more, and it caused division and drift within the family. And when we take truth of trying to raise our kids well so far that we destroy our relationship with them, it does no good for our children. Fathers, we need grace and truth 
in loving and raising our kids. If we can't have grace and forgiveness, our truth of trying to teach them about Jesus will drive them away from Jesus, who is grace. There needs to be levels of grace and truth. And when we discipline, which we'll go into in a minute, needs to be done in a way that it's encouraging growth and unity. Paul continues in Ephesians 6, 4 and says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. He starts with don't provoke them to anger because this needs to be done. But if this is done in provoking your children to anger, it won't do you any good. So bring them up in discipline in the instruction of the Lord. Paul's going back to a call from Deuteronomy 6, 7 that says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And these are the commands and the instructions of the Lord. He goes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And you shall teach all of the commandments of the Lord to your children. This is the primary responsibility of the parents, is to instruct and discipline your, te- your children. Um, also, it should say teach. Um, apparently, there was a mistype for team. So if you're following along and see team, it should say teach. We're called to instruct and discipline our children in the Lord. And again, my job as youth pastor is to come in and support the parents in their instruction and discipline of their children. And one of the really cool things is I can come to your children and say, here's this really cool thing that God has for you. And they'll come home to you and say, I learned this today. And you'll say, I've been teaching you that for 20 years. Um, But I get to assist parents in training and teaching their children, which is the joy of mine. But parents in this room, spiritual parents or physical parents, your job is to train and instruct your children. Someone will be discipling your children. And if you're not intentional about it, the world will be. We need to be teaching and training children in the ways of the Lord and not in the ways of the world. And that is why the enemy has been so purposeful in attacking the family unit. You just have to look around at the divorces and separations and broken families to realize that when the enemy can disrupt our family unit, he disrupts everything. That's why Paul is so intentional about this of saying, families, you have to dwell in unity together. In that day-to-day grind that's really hard, you have to be loving each other well. We've all heard the story um, or the phrases, more is caught than taught or actions speak louder than words. And that's the case because it's so true. Ruth Ann will be refusing to brush her teeth as we try to brush her teeth at night. But when she watches Catherine brush her teeth, then she's happy to. Children pick up on what you do. And that's easier to see when they're very young, but that's always the case. But that means if you want your children to obey you, They have to see you walking in obedience to God. So you have to be sharing what God is telling you and walking in obedience in that. If you want your children to submit to you, that means you have to be submitting to your spouse. And we talked about what that looks like last week. But if you can't submit to your spouse, how are your children ever gonna submit to you? If you want your children to be spending time with Jesus, they have to see you spending time with Jesus. So that means maybe you read your Bible in the living room instead of your office so that your children can see you spending time in the word and in prayer. And that might mean more distractions and more disruptions, 
but that also might give them opportunity to engage in it with you. If you want your family, your children to prioritize family, you have to make sacrifices to spend time with your family. They won't do it if they don't see you do it. But the really cool thing is when you choose to model for your children, they'll start to pick up on it. They'll start to walk in it. We need to raise them to love Jesus and to love others well. And when that's done, it looks so beautifully. There's a really, I think, heartbreaking example in 1 Samuel 3. We see two families. We see Hannah with her son Samuel, and we see Eli with his sons. Eli was the priest. He was supposed to be leading the entire nation. Hannah was just a woman from a village who desperately wanted a child and desperately wanted to love God well. She prayed and prayed for her son. She finally got one and she gave him completely to the Lord to train him in the ways that God wanted. And he became an incredible leader over Israel and led the entire nation back to God. And then Eli, who was supposed to be the leader, knew that his sons were doing what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. But he failed to instruct and to discipline his children. He came to them and said, it might be wrong what you're doing but never gave them any sort of discipline. And so finding, again, that discipline that's not harsh and provoking them to anger, but firm enough that they start to turn and follow the Lord can be hard. But parents, we have a responsibility to love and train our children and the next generation to love and know Jesus. Look at Psalm 133, one with me. It says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity when the family operates in the way that's supposed to, when the father is loving the wife, when the wife is submitting to her husband, when they are teaching and instructing and disciplining their children in the Lord, and when children are obeying their parents. And again, those fit together. Children, when you obey your parents, it's easier for them to love and lead you. Parents, when you are leading and loving well, it's easier for your children to obey. And you get to dwell in unity and experience life and joy. One of the things my mom always longed and prayed for was a quiet car ride because it never happened. Um, one of my brothers, whom I love very dearly, loved to push buttons. And unfortunately, I was very quick to be reactive when my buttons were pushed. And let's just say it didn't cause unity within the car ride. And the, for those long car trips where we were driving 10, 14 hours, we were not dwelling in unity. And all you need is one car ride with a large family to realize the difference between chaos and people pushing each other's buttons and living well in unity together. And that's what God is saying is I've desired this life that is full for you to experience. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, kill steal, and destroy, but I come to give life and life abundantly. When we choose to honor God in the ways that he has set things up, we get to experience abundant life. Psalm 128, two through four. Look at verse four with me first. It says, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the man who is fearing God, loving his wife and instructing his children will, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. When we dwell in unity, when we as children choose to obey, when we as parents choose to not provoke our children to anger and to instruct and discipline them in the Lord, it leads to abundant blessing. As I was preparing this message, more and more God just laid on my heart how incredible my parents were. I'm gonna share the times that I think my dad reacted the most angrily to me. That made a biggest impact on me because my dad's not perfect. The first one, we were gathered around one bed praying together as a family before bed. Which one, the fact that my family valued time together as a family to pray together is incredible and was such a big blessing for me. But I was very little. I didn't really, I was a little bit distracted and I saw a bunch of leg hair on my dad. Um, I don't know if I just had never noticed it or never been intrigued by it before, but I thought, huh, this is interesting. And so I grabbed a chunk, twisted and yanked. Um, Needless to say, reflex reaction, my dad did not enjoy that particular sensation. And I got just a little bit of a swat, enough for me to know you should not yank on dad's leg hair. Um, and then the second situation, uh, my dad is not overly fond of people jabbing him in the stomach, um, which most people aren't, but uh, it seems like mothers get used to getting poked from the inside and the outside, so they don't mind as much. But men, I found that's something we don't like, and my brothers, I have two older brothers, kind of took turns, just kept poking my dad in his belly, and he was patient, tried to tell them off, was patient, was patient, was patient, and they just pushed him right up to the wall. That's where they stepped back, came to me and said, Micah, do you know what'd be really funny? If you go and poke dad in his belly. And so eight-year-old me or so goes, that would be really funny. Not knowing any of the context leading up to it, I walk up to him and I just poke him right in the belly. And again, I got that little bit of a backhand saying, don't do that again. Um, Little me was pretty hurt by that. I was very confused why my dad would react like that. And later my dad came to me and apologized and said, I should not have done that. I'm sorry. And as I learned the full picture, I realized my dad's reaction was incredibly reasonable. I didn't see the full picture and I didn't know how much my brothers had been pushing him on. But my dad came to me and apologized to me afterwards. And again, it wasn't anything major. It was just a small like, hey, you should not be poking me in the stomach after your brothers have. But if those are two of the most prominent memories I have of my dad reacting in anger, I have such a huge blessing. My dad would make me angry sometimes because of how much he pushed me to Jesus. I'd be like, ah, I just can't find this thing and it's driving me crazy. My dad would say, have you prayed about it? I'd go, okay, I'll pray about it. And most of the time I'd find it right away. Or I'd come home and I'd be like, dad, I just had such a hard day and this was bothering me and that. And he'd say, well, have, have you prayed about it? And I go, I know that's the right answer, but I don't want to hear it right now. Or I'd come home and I'd be like, dad, I had such a great day. God did this and this. And he's like, well, have you prayed about it? Thanked him for it? I'd be like, oh, no, I haven't. But my dad always directed me back to God. Or we'd go camping and my dad would just point out the mountains as we're driving there and say, what a good God we have who would create this for us to enjoy it. 
And my dad's not perfect, but at every moment, he tried to love me well, teach me the ways of the Lord, and always point me back to God. And I can look around at my friends and see the parents who love their kids well and the kids whose parents drove them to anger or didn't instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And I can tell you, it makes a drastic difference in your kid's life. So as I prepared this, I was so thankful for my parents and I hope to honor my parents, especially my father well, by being half the man that my dad was to me, to my kids. So I want you to just take a moment and think like, if your parents, like my story, were amazing, take a minute to be thankful for them, to honor them well in the Lord to the people around you. And if that's not your story, how does God want you to change that for the next generation? whether that's your kids or the people you are spiritually discipling. But we're called to obedience and to love for each other. Jesus, we are so thankful for the family and for the blessings that it can be. Jesus, we're so heartbroken when the enemy can disrupt this family unit that you have called good. Would you teach us to dwell in unity with each other, to obey and honor our parents, to love in a way that doesn't provoke to anger and to instruct in discipline in the ways of the Lord so that we can experience this life of joy, this deep, true life that you have called us to. God, thank you for my own parents who loved me so well, who demonstrated so well what it looks like to love you and to love others and the blessings that I get to reap from that. Um, God, would you just bless and honor my parents and my grandparents for that. Jesus, thank you as you are the son that you were obedient to the father, that you were obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross so that we can experience life in you. Jesus, without your obedience, we would be lost. So we thank you that you were obedient even in the heart to glorify the father. Jesus, would you come? Would you remind us of your sacrifice and the blessings that we get to receive because of it through your life, death, and resurrection? Jesus, we love you. And we take this time to remember, to confess, and to dedicate. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.